But last week we began a three-part series briefly looking at this idea of discipleship. And last week we talked about this thought that we become what we follow. And the simple definition of discipleship we gave is it's learning to love and follow Jesus. Now here's a diagram, and I'm sorry for the blurry screen over here, um, but here's the diagram that you uh, will hopefully become more and more familiar with. This is what we're trying to work out as our uh, discipleship pathway. If you've been around New Life for a while, you know that was something that we've been talking about for quite some time. But last week, we talked about that centerpiece of the gospel that we need to keep coming back over and over again to the real Jesus and following him. And then we talked about that bottom line of transformation in that the goal of our discipleship is not to look like anybody else or anything else other than the person of Jesus Christ. That's the goal of discipleship, to look more and more like him. And so today, as we talk about this idea of ordinary discipleship, uh, we're going to be spending a little bit more time in that centerpiece, kind of looking at the how. You know, what has God put uh, in our lives that we lean into in order to shape us to look more and more like Jesus. Next week, we'll get to the community and the mission aspect of discipleship. But, but that's where we're going to be today, is in that centerpiece, looking at the how. And, and as I jump in, let me tell you uh, about a hero of mine. So growing up, there were two main heroes. They were both athletes. One was Michael Jordan. Uh, the other one was Cal Ripken Jr. Now, I never had the joy of seeing Michael Jordan play basketball. It is, it, it's sincerely one of the greater regrets of my life. I really, really wish I could have seen him play in his prime, not for the Wizards, but in his prime. Uh, and, uh, but Cal Ripken Jr., I actually had the opportunity to go and watch him play. Uh, when he, uh, he's a professional baseball player. He played for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, when I lived in Virginia, uh, when I was 12 years old, we went up to the old Memorial Stadium and got to see Cal Ripken Jr. play. He's a Hall of Fame baseball player. And here's the cool thing about Ripken is <laughs> if you went to one of the games, you were pretty much guaranteed to see him. You see, Cal Ripken became extraordinary by doing very ordinary things. And the one ordinary thing that he did is he actually showed up. He actually showed up. He played in 2,632 consecutive games. From May 30th, 1982, uh, he, he showed up in the lineup for the first time for the Orioles. And he did not leave the lineup until September 20th, 1998. He became extraordinary by doing ordinary things. Now let me contrast him with Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is kind of the villain in that baseball era, or at least a little bit after that. He uh, was one of the most feared sluggers of the 1990s and early 2000s, and he tried to become extraordinary, uh, not through the ordinary, but through things called performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, he tried to hasten the process, and, and he did break one of the most hallowed records in baseball, Hank Aaron's uh, home run record of 755 career home runs, but uh, you kind of hear a hiss among baseball purists when you mention his name and an asterisk next to his uh, 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 breaking of that mark uh, because he took the shortcut. Now, we may not be baseball players, but uh, we've probably had that sense in our own lives of taking a shortcut. Maybe it was cheating on a test. Maybe it was one of those wonderful get-rich-quick programs. Uh, maybe some of us recently have taken shortcuts to being a virologist or an epidemiologist by watching the news a lot. Who knows what that might be? But in his article, Five Reasons the Ordinary Means Are Extraordinary Gifts, Jeff Robinson says these two baseball players are, illustrate two different approaches to growing as a disciple of Jesus. One, 
is God's way, through the ordinary. Uh, The other is often our way, by taking the shortcuts. In our own spiritual lives, I I believe we have those same PEDs, those performance-enhancing moments, where uh, we tend to shorten the process of learning to love and following Jesus by doing things our way. Here are some of the PEDs of the Christian life. One is emotional burst, emotionalism, relying on our feelings. Oftentimes, that is where we uh, rely on becoming a disciple of Jesus, saying, hey, if I quit feeling it, then I just give up. Or comparison. That's another category where we try to shorten that process of discipleship. We compare ourselves to this person over here, this person over here, and say, I'm doing a little bit better than they are, so I'm real good, right? Doing well. Or uh, we, we mix or conflate uh, growing to look more and more like Jesus as growing to look more and more like our tribe, whatever that may be. You know, if I look more and more like this political party, if I look more and more like this social justice world, then, then yes, I'm, I'm growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But, but what you're going to find is that these are false means of growing in Jesus. As we rely on these, we atrophy spiritually. We remain stunted in our looking more and more like Him. We actually stop growing in the grace that He has offered to us. Now, as we start, I want to make it clear that, that the only way to become a disciple of Jesus Christ is by faith alone. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. So I just want to be very clear as we start talking about the hows of discipleship that, that we don't mix up the what is true and put it before the what to do's, all right? Faith in Christ, that's it. And faith in Christ, go back to the real Jesus we talked about last week, believing that Jesus is the suffering servant, Savior of the world, and Lord of our lives. That's what we trust in. However, after that, there's a whole lot more to the story for the follower of Christ and growing in Him. Louis Burkhoff, he's, um, he's a man who wrote very many thick, hard-to-read books, uh, theology books. But he said this, While the Holy Spirit can and does, in some respects, operate immediately on the soul of the sinner, he has seen fit to bind himself largely to the use of certain means of the communication of divine grace. Let me interpret that for us real quick. He's saying, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence, and he begins to do his work in our lives to make us look like Jesus. However, he's saying, but the Holy Spirit and God in his wisdom chooses to use ordinary means of grace to communicate his grace to us over the course of time. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, it's a, it's a book that in our uh, faith tradition we use quite a bit, It says, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances. Listen to this, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. So here's the short of it. What Burkhoff was saying is, hey, uh, the Holy Spirit uses ordinary means. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, here's the three things that he primarily uses to shape us to look more and more like Jesus. It's his word, it's prayer, and it's the sacraments. Now, we get thrown by the word ordinary. We are a culture that loves to make things super complex. I think many would want just like a 12-step program that I give you with about eight bullet points under each of how I become a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, actually, it's remarkably ordinary. You see, these things are timeless. They don't change. They don't require innovation. 
And so here's the big idea of where I'm headed this morning. God changes us to look more and more like Jesus as we follow him in ordinary ways. God changes us to look more and more like Jesus as we follow him in ordinary ways. So this is going to be a pretty simple sermon. It's going to be pretty ordinary. Uh, Three quick bullet points. The Word, prayer, and the sacraments. So before I jump in, let me pray for us this morning. Father, as I wrestled through it this week, I had this moment of going, this is just too simple. Um, Yet, as I wrestled with it, I recognized that, uh, Lord, the ordinary is actually extraordinary because it is what you use to chip away at our hardened hearts to make us look more like you. So, Lord, use the preaching of your word this morning. Shape us to look more and more like you. Father, for those who are searching for you, I pray that the simple message of the gospel will come through clearly. Holy Spirit, would you guide my words? Uh, Lord, would you protect our hearts and would you warm them to you, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, so let's talk about the first uh, means of grace, the first ordinary means of grace, God's Word or the Scriptures. And this is what I'm going to call it. I'm going to call God's Word the effective guide that shapes us. The effective guide that shapes us. The effective. Let's talk about that. Isaiah 55. This is Isaiah writing down the words of God. He says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing in which I sent it. And so God's pretty much saying, my word is effective. Even if we don't see it, even if we don't believe it, it is accomplishing the very thing God sends it to do. So it's the effective guide. What am I talking about with guide? Now let me let me actually clarify what I mean by guide. The popular view of God's Word is that it's the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? And we read it for the sole purpose of it making us a better person and just kind of helping us relationships. Maybe we make some money off of it, whatever that may be. And I would say, at the very least, that's an impoverished view of what I mean by guide and what God's Word is. And at the worst, it's actually anti-Christian. That's an anti-Christian way of reading the scriptures. And the reason I can say that is in John 5, there was a group of religious leaders who were reading the Bible for the same purposes. It was basic instructions before leaving earth. If they did what it said, then they're like, then I'm going to get to heaven and I'll be great. And Jesus confronts them and he says, you search the scripture because you think in them you have eternal life by doing what they say. But it's in them that they witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You may be reading God's word for it to tell you what to do, but if you miss Jesus, then you've missed the whole Christian faith. You've missed what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You see, it's an effective guide, a guide that is pointing us to a person. When Jesus called Peter last week, what did he say? Follow me. And so for those of us who wish to disciple others, that should actually relieve some of the pressure because we are never calling someone to look more like ourselves. We're saying, look more like Jesus. Follow him. And let's go to God's word to see who he is. So it's an effective guide that shapes us. Now, here's where we get into how God's word shapes us. First, it shapes us as it reads us. Hebrews 4.12. 
The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Friends, we don't read the Bible. The Bible reads us. This is a picture where it talks about the piercing and the being living and active. I have this picture of, you know, uh, it actually wounding us somehow. But what happens when a wound happens and you feel that pain? The body signals the immune system to go and, and restore that area. And I feel like that's the picture we have and how God uses his word. As we read it, 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 it points out a place to activate the Holy Spirit to go there and to begin to do its work in us. So it shapes us as it reads us, and it shapes us as it matures us. So here's where we might be getting into the guide aspect. And, okay, what do we do? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it is actually true that if we start with the right lens of approaching Scripture, as it is primarily pointing us to Jesus, that it does show us how to live our lives in obedience to Him in a way that grows us in our Christian maturity, to look more and more like Jesus. Let me give you an illustration of, of, of kind of the sense I got as I read through these passages this week. A number of years ago, before kids, my wife and I went and vacationed up in Acadia National Park in Maine, and kind of on this rim trail around the coast, there's this one place called Thunder Hole. Uh, it's this one uh, area where uh, there's this notch uh, or inlet where the waves get stuck in there with all of its power, and it shoots up all of this foam, and it makes a thunderous noise, hence the Thunder Hole, right? And so as you're listening to it, and as I'm watching it, you're just getting this sense of the power of that water as it beats against those rocks. You know, over the course of time, the thought hit me as I saw that, you know, those rocks, they look like they're doing a good job and they're standing strong, but you know what's happening? The consistent power of that water hitting it over and over again is actually shaping those rocks. They're eroding them. Those rocks have no chance against the power of those waves, and that's just a thought that I have as I think of God's Word. It's a sanity. It's sanity for a pastor. Uh, let me just be honest. As I walked through this this week, uh, I thought to myself, this, this is what keeps us sane as I study God's Word, as I preach God's Word, and I'm confronted with the hardness of my own heart, as I'm confronted with the hardness of all of our hearts and preach, and sometimes you go, is any of this working? And this was just this picture of a reminder of God's Word is effective, and whether or not we see it, it's doing its work on the hardness of our hearts because it is living and active. So here's a question. Are we allowing the waves to crash against our hearts? Like, are we actually in the water, in the Word, allowing it to shape our hearts to look more like Jesus? If not, why not? Why not? What voices are we listening to that feeds our functional theology? You know what I mean by that? Our functional theology is really what we believe. What voices are shaping our functional theology that, that is telling us that the Bible isn't critical for our discipleship? If there is no Bible, I don't believe there's true discipleship happening. 
So let me encourage you that I'm going to put in the Monday email some resources for us to say, okay, Anthony, I don't know how to even start with this Bible thing. Uh, I'll give us some helps because it can be complicated. But let me just encourage you, Zoom somebody, call somebody, meet with somebody and read God's word together. That's discipleship. If you're sharing your faith and you're trying to come up with some new innovative way of doing it, just memorize one passage of scripture and share it with them because faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. Take the pressure off yourself. That's what God uses. Prayer, second point. Prayer, I would call the access that shapes us. It's the access to God that actually shapes us. Um, Real quick, uh, Ephesians 2.18, this passage says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we both, is talking about the dynamic between Jews and Gentiles. You think the pro-mask, anti-mask, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, pro-BLM, anti-BLM has tension between them? It's got nothing on the Jew-Gentile relationship. And what Paul is basically saying is, is through Jesus, we both, enemies, have access in the Spirit to the Father. Now let me connect some dots. Romans 8 talks about this access via the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us in groanings too deep for words. So friends, when we place our faith in Christ, we have this remarkable access through the Holy Spirit to the God of the universe, to talk to him, to bring our hopes and our joys and our dreams to him, to bring him honor and glory. We just sang prayers and prayed prayers in this service, and we believe that that access actually shapes us. Philippians 4, here's the shaping that we see. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's the prayer part. Here comes the shaping part. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see that connection between that access and how when we sit before God, it begins to shape us? Tim Keller says, to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on Him, on God, for everything. I need to change screens. It is awe, intimacy, struggle, yet the way to reality There is nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering. Friends, prayer is shaping because it it, it is us going to God and humbly admitting that we are 100% dependent upon Him. Don't we believe that would shape us? Here's my struggle with prayer. Is that And I would say, out of these three, this is the one I struggle with my own personal walk with Jesus more than any of them. And here's why I think it is. Because I don't like being dependent on anything. I just don't. If there's a sin I repent of more, it is my independence. It is my thinking I've got it, that I'm in control. And that short-circuits our prayer almost immediately. In fact, I have a whole circuit of people who call me every single week to just pray with me. Because I need to, in community, come before the God of the universe in prayer and allow him to shape me and to say time and time again, I'm utterly dependent upon you. Last one, sacraments. Sacraments. Sacraments are the participation that shapes us. 
It's the participation that shapes us. And, and here's what I would just say. This is one we, probably the one we're going to, it's going to stretch us the most. And, and there is a ton to be said here. But let me say this simply. First, we believe in our tradition there's only two sacraments, communion and baptism. And we also believe that these do not save us, cannot, do not, will not save us ever. We believe, Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so we believe that God's word brings about faith and causes it to grow, but, but, but here's what the sacraments do. They actually strengthen our faith. They strengthen our faith. All right, I'm going to try this. Ready? Whoo! In Reformed faith, we look at the sacraments as being two things, signs and seals. Signs and seals. What a sign is, is it's something that is showing the spiritual relationship between the right or the action itself and the truth conveyed. So it's a sign showing the relationship between what's going on, baptism, and the truth that it's communicating. So with baptism... Uh, it, it signifies the washing away of sins and the regeneration of the dead heart towards God. A real illustration might be this wedding band that I have on my hand. This is a sign showing the relationship between me and my wife, that it is actually a committed one, one that we are not moving on from. Now, if I take it off, I'm still married. But it is a sign of a reality between my wife and I. Now, here's the other one. It's going to stretch us just a little bit. Just hang in there. A seal. A seal. Now, think of a seal like on an envelope, old school. Um, somebody puts their seal. It is God's seal and pledge of the covenant of grace, and it confirms our interest in him. So let me explain what that might look like using the wedding illustration again. You know, when we, uh, when, when I put the ring on my wife's finger, that was a seal of sorts of me pledging myself to her and her having access to every part of my life. And so in a way, the sacraments is this reminder of God's seal and promises towards us. In a way, it's kind of like a vow renewal ceremony. Have you ever gone to one of those? You know, we take of communion, in a sense, it is this reminder of God's pledge towards us and what he's done for us. And we also believe that there is just this unique spiritual uh, reality when we do things like take communion, that Jesus, through his Spirit, is uniquely present with us in that moment. And so here's kind of the final illustration that helps with this. Well, actually, let me read these two verses. I said it's the participation that shapes us. Um, let me skip to 11. Just listen to the participation language. It doesn't mean you need to understand everything that's being said. But it's saying, in Jesus, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So there's a participation saying, if we're in Christ and when baptism is happening, there's this mysterious spiritual participation that's happening with Jesus. Here's uh, one on the Lord's Supper. We'll read this in a bit. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And so in a way, it's this continual reminder as we participate in the sacraments of how we are participating in Jesus with his resurrection, with his suffering, with his paying of the penalty 
of sin in our lives. And friends, this shapes us. If you've ever run a half marathon, it's kind of like that packet of goo you get on like mile 10 where you have no energy left in reserves. Y'all might be so confused, and I, I don't mean to do this, but you get the goo, you rip the top off, you take it, and it's just like this last boost that you need to keep on. And in this crazy pandemic, uh, venomous world that we live in, coming to the table is crucially important because it's that, it's that shot that we need in his presence with us to remind us and strengthen us and encourage our faith to keep going. Means of grace, ordinary, aren't they? Yet without them, spiritually and in our discipleship, we sit in neutral. God, through his Holy Spirit, accomplishes extraordinary work in us through his ordinary means of grace. Let me pray for us as we move to the table this morning. Lord, will you soften our hearts to these realities that you set before us? That you do extraordinary work in us through ordinary means, through the power of your Spirit. Lord, where we have just kind of dismissed these things as being rote or just little hoops that Christians have to jump through, God, will you rewire us to see them as as the means of grace that they are, that are necessary for our vibrancy and our walks with you, and to make us look more and more like you? Father, if if there are those who do not know you, who are watching or here, Lord, may you cause them to get into your word and be pierced and shaped by it. Will you bring the healing balm of the gospel? Will you show us the glory of being able to talk to the God of the universe and to participate with you in your glorious works? We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now at this point, I'm going to give a brief benediction for my friends who are online as we move to the table here this morning. And so for you, may the God of all hope give you joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Go in peace.